JJ Cooper, Kyle Glazer here, another Baseball America playoff podcast. This is the jealousy edition on my part because I got to enjoy last night's uh, World Series no-hitter, but I enjoyed it like probably most of you listening did, sitting at home, watching TV. Kyle gets to, like, Kyle had a career moment last night because if you to be in person to get to cover a World Series no-hitter, which by the way, I don't think that there's anybody who's covered two of them. Um, I I knew someone who was at the first World Series no-hitter, Don Larson, 56. I, I guess there could be a kid who was there in 56 who was also here in 2022. You'd have to be a kid pretty much. Otherwise, um, unfortunately, you've probably passed on. But Kyle, first off, congratulations. But more than that, I- I'll set you up this way, which is obviously we're going to talk about Christian Javier a lot. But what? where was the point in that game where you thought, hmm, Javier's really good a lot of the time, but this got a chance to be something special? Yeah, I mean, I think really once you got into the fourth inning or so, and he was just cruising. You know, he issued a walk in the second inning, uh, issued a walk in the third inning. Kyle Schwarber had a ball that, that was just foul. And, you know, I mean, Javier was pitching well, but it wasn't invincible. And then he got into that stretch in the fourth where – I mean, the Phillies just could not touch him. Struck out five batters in a row at one point, retired 11 straight. And it wasn't like the Phillies were close. Matt Eddy, our, our co-executive editor, pointed this out yesterday, and, and I thought it was really telling and really applicable to what we were seeing last night. Since Christian Javier debuted in 2020, he has the lowest opponent's average allowed of any starter in Major League Baseball. And he's a full 17 points ahead of Corbin Burns, who, who's next on the list. And even if you go back to 2019, when Christian Javier was in the minors, he had the lowest opponent's average in the minors in 2019. I mean, it's not a stretch. It's a fact to say Christian Javier has been the hardest pitcher to get a hit off of every level he has pitched at the last four seasons. And we really saw it kind of hit that gear in the fourth inning last night. I mean, the fourth to the sixth, the Phillies had no shot. I think the thing that blew me away was we saw in game three, you know, the Phillies hit five homers and not even five full innings off Lance McCullers. Against Christian Javier, they only got two balls out of the infield. I mean, it was just, that's when he knew it was special. Then when he got pulled, it's like, okay, maybe the Phillies have a shot. And then Brian Abreu comes in and strikes out, you know, the heart of their order, all swinging in the seventh. And then it was like, all right, here we go. It was very, very clear the Phillies uh, were not really able to do much of anything last night. And, and it's funny, on the podcast uh, we did before yesterday's game. I even made a comment like, yeah, you know, the Astros need their pitching depth to step up. It's time. And uh, this was beyond what I had in mind, but uh, it was certainly a, a great performance all the way around. It, it it was truly a great performance. And the thing that stands out about it, you know, for all the discussion about McCullers and did the Phillies know, you know, tipping and everything that from the last game, pretty much most of the time last night didn't need to be a, didn't need to tip, didn't need to be a brain surgeon to know. Fastball. Here it is. I mean, but it was, I would describe it, they're different pitches, but I would describe it as Mariano Rivera-esque, which is throughout the totality of Mariano Rivera's career, you could look cutter every pitch and it was still going to give you problems. Christian Javier's fastball, which is not exceptional velocity, but the movement of it is such that 
You may know I'm looking fastball. You may even know I'm looking fastball in this zone of the plate. And the fastball can come in that zone of the plate. And then you're like, why am I under that pitch? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny, right? If you take a step back and look at it on paper, almost from the, the scouting report perspective, I mean, last night he was a two-pitch pitcher with a fastball that averaged 93 miles an hour. Threw his fastball 70 times in 97 pitches, his slider 25 times. I mean, he only threw that knuckle curve twice. I mean, a two-pitch pitcher averaging 93 on paper, you're like, eh. But look, I mean, the concept of, hey, he throws hard, but it's straight is is not a new concept. I mean, people talking about that for decades. I've talked about that in Little League. But we just never had a way to measure the life and movement on a fastball up until very, very recently. Now that we have that, it's allowed us to kind of drill down on, okay, man, this thing really, really moves. You can see it with the naked eye, but we can now really, really, really be specific about it. And, and I mean, again, Christian Javier averaged 93 miles an hour last night, you know, topped out at 96. It was 95, not a tick under it. I mean, this is not a guy who throws exceptionally hard. He's never been a guy who's thrown exceptionally hard, even as a prospect. I remember that was a question scouts had is, okay, how's this going to work? Clearly, it works really, really, really well. I, I thought Christian Vasquez had the best comment last night. I was like, to me, this is the, the best fastball in the major leagues. We talked about it's almost got like a screwball action to it. I mean, just the way it moves and dances, it's so, so, so difficult to square up. I mean, we talked about it. Christian Javier is the hardest pitcher to get a hit off of among any starter since he debuted in 2020. And, and his fastball is a big reason why. I mean, you know, you just pull up the, the data on the pitch alone. I mean, holds opponents to a 183 average. The expected average is even lower than that. I mean, there's an argument that this is is the most unhittable fastball in the majors. I think that could be a little of a stretch, but certainly top five, top six, top seven. And last night it was it was on. You know, Dusty Baker made the comment that the best pitch in baseball is still a well placed fastball. There's a lot of truth to that, especially when it moves like Christian Javier's does. I mean, the Phillies had no shot. This is the second time he's done this. He had a combined no hitter against the Yankees back in June, and it was a lot of the same stuff. When when he is on you can't touch them. The thing that you, you hit on it. I I've been a BA for 20 years. And I remember there would be pitchers that we would talk about who, especially when you say a lively fastball and someone threw 95 back when 95 was a lot, that was like, okay, it's obvious, but you would have these pitchers who would come through the minors. And it's like, he's getting a lot of a lot of swings and misses or a lot of weak contact on his fastball, but it's only like 90. And, you know, I would get, it's an ear flipper. Like he's, cause he's hiding the ball. It's, you know, it's this, it's that. I remember, I mean, this is a relatively new, as you said, the ability to measure this. I remember a few years ago with Colin Poche, where I'm trying to figure out, like, I remember spending some time trying to figure out what is it about Colin Poche's fastball that makes it so effective back when Colin Poche was coming up through the minors. And it is important that like we now, now this is quantifiable. Now that doesn't mean that they didn't, that doesn't mean that Christian Javier would not have been spotted 25 years ago when we couldn't quantify it because pitching traits, fastball traits are visually, you can see them even if you can't, couldn't measure them. But now that we can, the number I always look at, like that puts you in the special realm of induced vertical break is 20 plus inches. If you are over 20, that's that's rare. Well, 
Javier was 21.5, 21.2, 21.1. If you look at IVB, I know is a pretty esoteric stat, but Hawkeye StatCast measures it. 33 of the 36 pitches with the most induced vertical break from last night, Christian Javier. Like that's, he was at a different level as far as that vertical life with his fastball, the movement of it. What does that mean? To me, the key thing that means is, is as a hitter, you may tell yourself Javier's pitch fastball moves differently than I'm expecting. You can tell your brain that, but the way that visual chunking, the way that the brain works, you see the fastball out of the hand, you extrapolate where it's going to end up. And even if you tell yourself swing higher than that or whatever, it's really hard to train yourself. It's really hard to effectively override your brain as a hitter to tell it, no, 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 wherever I think I'm going to swing, I need to swing significantly higher than that. And we saw that over and over. It is really hard to square a guy up like that. And to say square a guy up, Christian Javier left that game having never been squared up. Like, the, the really, there was, I would say in that entire game, there was what? There were two potential hits, one of which was eighth inning, was it, that the ball was smoked? Yeah, Gene right Segura, to- uh, Gene Segura's, you know, hard liner to right. I mean, that was the best shot the Phillies had. And, you know, the ball just stayed up. Kyle Tucker, Kyle Tucker charged him, made the catch. But, yeah, I mean, there was, there was very, very little hard contact. And, there wasn't a lot of contact, period. And in the ninth inning, Kyle Tucker had a moment that, like, it wasn't a brutally difficult catch, but he made it a little tougher, the ball, you know, on the on a ball down the line. It wasn't going to land, but at least it had a moment of a, uh-oh, could this, could this land? Because he didn't get camped under it. That was it. I mean, am I forget like, Bregman made a nice play in the last out of the game, too. Yeah, I mean, again, Kyle Schwarber had a foul ball early. That was close, but I mean, that that was it. It's just a remarkable performance, you know, by Christian Javier with his parents in the stands. First time his dad ever saw him pitch in the major leagues. And it's one of those things I, I wrote about it last year, how you know, the Astros, their international scouting, finding these under-the-radar older pitchers, signing them for low bonuses. You know, Framer Valdez, $10,000. Christian Javier, $10,000. Um, Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia fit into this as well, you know, really extended their competitive window. It's a big reason why they're still a competitive team after, you know, Garrett Cole left, Zach Granke left, and then Justin Verlander came back this year, but missed most of the last two years. A lot of these guys were, you know, some of them were in the top 10 in the Astro system, uh, but they were never, you know, premium, premium prospects from the moment they signed. And I mean, they've all stepped up. I mean, the Astros' two best pitchers this World Series having two guys they signed for 10 grand. Framber Valdez when he was 21 and uh, Christian Javier a week before he turned 18, way older than most of the top international guys signed. So, you know, credit to Ozzo Campo and, and Roman Akumarez and and all that that staff. I mean, it's really just cool, you know, pure scouting development stories. And, and the Astros are obviously a very analytically driven organization, but um, the infrastructure for that is, is not there internationally. It certainly wasn't, you know, last decade when they signed these guys. I mean, this was just amazing scouting jobs you know being willing to go against the grain and sign guys when when other teams wouldn't have done it and now they're reaping the rewards on baseball's grandest stage uh just just super cool for christian javier given his background former outfielder topped out at 89 they gave him 10 grand as just to sure what the heck why not and now here he is getting his team back into the series and and helping them even it up and, and put his team and his name into the history books and 
as they kept talking about, as they love to mention on the broadcast last night, not a top prospect, never a top hundred prospect. At the same time, was a top ten prospect in the Astros system. It's right. not like that this guy showed up in the majors and it's like, who is Christian Javier? Number eight, I believe, is the highest he got on our uh, on our top twenty. I mean, our top thirty. Uh, I would say, again, the things, the differences of how the game continues to evolve. We would feel more comfortable about his fastball now than we did even when he was coming up to the minors because we understand more about kind of fastball characteristics and all that. But it is an impressive development story. It's impressive what Christian Javier does. By the way, crazy part of this is Christian Javier, who has just authored one of the best pitching performances we'll ever see in the postseason. Like, I mean, that that one, I know it was six innings. It wasn't, it wasn't, uh, you know. Madison Bumgarner coming in on you know short rest. It wasn't Jack Morris pitching all 10 innings in 91 in game seven, but six no-hit innings of a no-hitter is one of the greatest World Series pitching performances. Again, by the way, against a lineup that, as we have seen, can just maul you, is one of the best pitch performances we'll see. And this is a guy who has kind of been a little bit of a jack-of-all-trades for, for the Astros as well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, to your point about it being, you know, one of the better World Series performances in a while, uh, this was the first uh, six-plus innings of no-hit ball in the World Series by a starter since 1969. Jerry Kuzman with the Mets was the last guy to pitch six-plus uh, no-hit innings in the World Series. So this doesn't happen very often. And it's been interesting, right? I mean, Javier has been kind of that that Swiss Army knife who's done a bunch of different things for the Astros. You know, he came up in 2020 and, and was a starter for them. It really helped get them to the ALCS, even though they had a lot of pitching injuries. Then 2021, he was more of a, a swingman type, made nine starts, but but most of his appearances were out of the bullpen. And even in last year's postseason, he wasn't in the rotation. He only made his first career playoff start this year. That was the ALCS against the Yankees through five and a third scoreless with uh, one hit allowed. So again, the idea that this guy is very, very hard to hit. I mean, he went into Yankee Stadium and held them to one hit over five and a third scoreless, then went into Citizens Bank Park in the World Series and pitched six no-hit innings. Speaks to this guy's poise, his, his composure, especially given they're down 2-1. He just watched Lance McCullers get absolutely bombed. You know, we talked about it too. I mean, a big key for the Astros was taking the crowd out of it early and while you're never gonna like completely silent citizens bank park i mean pretty clearly especially once he got to those middle innings where he was just mowing them down quickly and easily it got pretty quiet and and i think the other thing too you know now that i think more about it is you talk about what was a moment where it's like okay this is this is really possible i think brian abreu coming in and striking out the heart of the phillies order all swinging on 15 pitches that really kind of was was a big shutdown moment because you say, okay, Javier's out of the game. Maybe we have a chance now. And Brian Abreu comes in, it's like, nope. I, I, the, the, the other thing with that is, is that, like we said, yeah, we talked about taking the, yeah, if no hitting a team is a good way to take the crowd. <laughs> they literally, in the eighth and ninth, when you say took the crowd out of the game, some of the crowd left. So they literally took them out of the stadium. And some of them, which, by the way, I know your team is losing and everyone gets to choose their own. You know, you paid for the ticket. You do what you want to do. But at the same time, I don't care if it's happening against my team. If I'm in the ballpark for a no, a World Series no-hitter, 
if it's 52 to nothing, I'm not leaving that game at least until there's a hit. Like, I mean, I'm trying to envision the scenario where it's like, you know, I've been here for eight innings, probably not going to come back, but eh, do I need to be around to see the end of a no hit? You know, I, I don't understand that myself, but again, everyone has their own choices they get to make. But Kyle, the, the one last thing that I would not touch on is with, with Javier is, is that he wasn't going to make it through nine. I mean, there really wasn't a scenario, but what does this mean by the fact that he was done after 97 pitches in six innings? I think one thing that is important to notice about this is it does kind of factor into what it means for Christian Javier and the Astros pitching for the rest of this world series. Yeah. I, I mean, it's interesting, right? So I think the favorite stat I saw last night is Dom Larson's perfect game in the 1956 World Series. He threw 97 pitches the entire game. Christian Javier, 97 pitches through six innings. And I, I think generally speaking, it was it was understood, yeah, this is the right thing to do. Pull him here, turn it over to the bullpen, just because as incredible as this is, and it would have been cool to really see him finish it off. He's not a guy who has thrown a lot of pitches typically. He did throw 115 pitches, funny enough, in his other combined no-hitter. Uh, that was against the Yankees earlier this year. But he had only thrown more than 97 pitches four times in 30 appearances this year. 99 twice, he had a 106, not 115. He got to 97 a few other times. But, I mean, this is not a guy who typically goes out and is good for 100, 105, 110. I mean, very few pitchers in the game today are but he's not really one of them. So this is kind of the range he typically goes, the range he's typical comfortable working with where, where you don't feel like you want to push him past a certain point. And you're right. Now he can potentially come back and, and be fresh as needed for, for a game seven. Obviously the Astros have to get there first. Uh, and in the perfect world for them, they, they finish it up beforehand. It's not an issue, but Again, I, I think generally speaking, you understood. Yeah, of course you, you see a guy pitching a no hitter. You want him to stay in. But after 97 pitches, understanding just, just who he is as a pitcher and, and that ultimately the point is to win the World Series. And given the lead, given the quality of the Astros bullpen, you understand taking him out. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it sets them up really, really well now. Again, you know, after game three, they looked like, man, they just got bombed. And, you know, gosh, are they gonna? how are they going to come back from this? Then to come back like they did. I mean, Christian Javier did his job and it was it was really, really cool to see and, and a really cool moment for him and the Astros franchise and, and baseball history in general. So now we want to turn our attention to game five. But before we do that, we have a quick break. And we're back. So, Kyle, we now have a series that, I mean, the other thing about Christian Javier's performance last night is that it utterly flips this series in some ways too. Like if the Phillies win that game, then game five becomes almost the game where it's like, if you're Philly, you want to win it. You'd love to absolutely take, you know, you'd love to celebrate on your home field. You want to win any world series game. I, I'm not saying like, Oh, let us give this one away. But what I mean by this is that you have some, some leeway there. Now we have a tied series and with a tied series with the series going back to Houston after game five. And on top of that, a pitching matchup of Verlander versus Syndergaard, which if we were talking about five years ago, may sound like the, the matchup of two aces, but not that in 2022, how has the advantage significantly shifted back to the Astros in this series? 
I mean, it certainly increases their odds when you are, you know, tied 2-2 as opposed to down 3-1. There's no question about it. But yeah, I mean, again, I, I've talked about it. Games three and four were, were going to be pivotal. Huh? They were likely going to be the games that determine the series. And now you look at it and you say, if the Astros is tied 2-2, we know we're going home. And yeah, now we have our ace going. I mean, Justin Verlander, we've talked a lot about it. His World Series history is pretty ugly. Uh, after his game one start, he's now 0-6 with a 6.07 ERA and eight career World Series starts. He got bombed game one. He got bombed in his two World Series starts in 2019. So the last ones in particular have been really bad. But this is still a guy who is one of the best pitchers of his generation, who going to win the American League Cy Young Award this year. And you feel pretty good about it when you look the other way. And it's Noah Syndergaard, who, as you mentioned, was at one point, one of the most dominating pitchers in baseball, but that time has passed. The Phillies have been very open about with Noah Syndergaard. They're hoping to get three innings. I mean, th this is a bullpen game. The good thing for the Phillies is their best bullpen arms are, are mostly rested. Jose Alvarado threw last night, but Sir Anthony Dominguez is fresh. Zach Eflin did throw an inning last night, but you know, you can go and say, all right, we're going to hopefully get three from Syndergaard. If he can give you more, great, but that's not the plan. You can mix in Bailey Falter, a lefty, just to give it a different look. Maybe you push Sir Anthony Dominguez for two innings, especially knowing you have an off day coming up, a travel day. So they're going to have to piece it together. Uh, and if you're the Astros, you say, as much as Justin Verlander has struggled and did not pitch well in game one, you certainly prefer you know the guy you have on the mound than trying to piece together a bullpen game. <laughs> yeah, absolutely that. And the other thing I would say is, is that the Astros have their ace going in game five, and then one could also argue they have their ace going in game six because Framber Valdez is every bit the guy that also, as we saw in his first start, he's not a guy that if you're the Phillies, yeah, Zach Wheeler's going to pitch in the series again. Okay. But at the same time, if the Astros can win this one, you re feel really good about having Framber Valdez on the mound to try to, to wrap up a World Series. But at the same time, as you said, rested bullpen, brutal lineup, um, you know, that can basically turn, you know, turn a, a three run or a five run deficit into, uh, you know, a tie or a, a lead very quickly. It, it doesn't mean that this is by any stretch. Oh, OK, well, Verlander versus Syndergaard, easy one for the Astros. It will be fun to watch. Well, but, I was going to say, but, you know, one of the things that I'm really looking for specifically is. The Phillies were a really, really good fastball-heading team. And last night, Christian Javier being, you know, fastball that he has, it was kind of strength versus strength, and, and Javier won that battle. You know, I go back to game one, a, a lot of – and Justin Verlander definitely, you know, threw some, some great breaking balls in there. But when things kind of fell apart a little bit, a, a lot of the Phillies' contact was against his breaking stuff. There were times where you said, you know, why is he going away from his fastball here? And I'm going to be curious to see if he makes the adjustment, especially given the success Javier showed last night. Again, two different pitchers, two different fastballs. But I'm just going to be watching it from a game planning perspective. I think that was one thing you took away from game one is saying, okay, you know, Verlander probably got a little breaking ball heavy. You understand this is a good fastball hitting team, but at a certain point, you got to throw your fastball and, and do what you do best. And Justin Verlander can certainly pump one. I'm going to be curious to see if he's a little more fastball-heavy tonight, especially in light of, you know, again, how much Christian Javier was able to dominate the Phillies with his fastball last night. I'd throw into there also, especially as how much Christian Javier dominated with his fastball. But, and again, these are all different pitchers. Lance McCullers didn't get beat on his fastball. Right. Lance McCullers got beat on his secondary pitches 
that the Phillies showed, hey, by the way, we can hit those two. Again, Justin Verlander's secondaries, Lance McCullers secondaries, both really good, different. But at the same time, we've had the, the way that the Astros have beaten up the uh, Phillies in this game, I mean, in this series, has been Javier's fastball. Uh, okay, Framber Valdez did it with uh, curveball, which is, but Framber Valdez's curveball is kind of different too and special. So it will be fascinating. We'll be watching, obviously. Kai will be there, and we will be back to break it all down again tomorrow on the Baseball America Playoff Podcast. For Kyle, I'm JJ. So long, everybody. 